Our scripture reading is taken from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 3, and then verses 11 through 32. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus tells some parables about the missing sheep and the missing coin. And then he continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants had food to spare, and here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robes and put them on him. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he said, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Dear friends of God, one of the textures of Lent, one of the layers that we're going to look at and be inspired by this morning is the texture of the robe on the shoulders of the younger son 
who finally came home. Imagine that robe, fine linen, very beautiful, embroidered, colorful. It feels light, yet substantial. It feels smooth, and yet textured. And you run your fingers down it, and it just feels beautiful. It's the robe of a wealthy landowner and prominent businessman. When the father calls for it, he calls for the best robe. Okay, this thing is on. It's brand new. And it's not working. Why? There it is. There it is. He calls for the best robe. And that... Who wears the best robe in the house? In, a, in, in first century Palestine, it's the father's robe. This is the robe the father wore to grand occasions, to festivals, to the places where he had to come and strut. This is the one he commissioned some ancestor of Giorgio Armani to, to make for him. This is, this is the best of the best. If you, if you would meet the father wearing that robe, you'd nod. You'd go, hmm, nice. You, you'd say, now this is a man of substance. I, I nod to him. I, I, I respect him. You, you just respect him as one of your betters, you know, one of, one of those folks that just like, wow, I'm, in, I'm among great people. And if, if the grand occasion was at his house, you'd know it was his house. You'd know it was him who was throwing the party and it was his food that you were eating. You would sense his authority. He would look grand in that robe, and he'd look twice as handsome in that robe. And that, young, that robe on the younger son, it does not make sense. That robe should not have been on that son. He shouldn't have been wearing that robe that day. That son had caused so much shame to his father, to his community, to himself that he shouldn't even have been led into the same room as that robe. He shouldn't have been able to see his father in it, let alone wear it, and get a signet ring on his finger, and, and get shoes on his feet, and, and a fattened calf killed in his honor in a big blowout party. How is it possible that that son is wearing that robe? because by the time he had come home, that son had caused no end of shame to his family. And it, it was a shame-based culture back then. You, you dealt in shame. You did things so that you wouldn't shame yourself or your community or, your, or the people around you. You, you, um, you kept face. You, you did the right things so that you, know, you, you just kept things going well. And you did not cause shame and this, this young son, in a shame-based culture, he stands out as the poster child of shame. It's like he had studied all the ways, hey, how can I cause the most shame on my family, on my community, on myself? And he studied all those ways, and then he did them. He did them. And in the few sentences of this parable, Jesus has people gasping at how utterly shameful this son 
had been. To start with, the son had said to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. And one commentator who had gone to Syria, and he asked the people you know, who lived in that shame-based culture in that, that area many, many years ago, he says, what would, what would you do if your son said this to you? And they said, well, a son would never say this to me. Yeah, but what if he did? Well, he wouldn't. You just don't say that. Yeah, but, but what if he said that to you? And he said, well, the, the men would say, well, that's the end of the relationship. Because that's, that's the same thing as saying, Father, I wish you were dead. It's the same thing as saying, Dad, you're dead to me. Just give me what I've got and let me get out of here. And that tells us something of the nature of sin. Because sin isn't the breaking of rules. It's the breaking of a relationship. Yes, Adam and Eve broke the rules that God had set. Don't do this, and they did it. And yet, really what it was, it was the breaking of a relationship. Here is the relationship is broken in no uncertain terms, and it breaks the father's heart. And in Middle Eastern culture, the standard response to a, a son like that would be to beat him, maybe even stone him to death by the community for such a scandalous breaking of community values, causing so much shame. But the father responds in a totally unexpected way, in an equally shameful way in many respects. He gave the son what he asked for. Here. Have your inheritance. The depth of his love allows freedom. He lets him go. He lets him go the other way. Freedom to reject and to try and make it on your own. See how far you get. So the son gathered up his property, which amounted to about a third of the father's estate because the older son he got two-thirds of an inheritance, a double share, and the younger son got one-third. So imagine you take one-third of your father's assets and you liquidate them. And where would you do that in Jesus' time? You take all his sheep, all the goats, all those things, you go to the public market. You go to the market. You do this in public. And, and he sold them to the vendors there, and the vendors in the market, they knew where those animals came from. They knew what was going on. They knew how terrible the son had been, and they also knew how shameful the father had been, and they just said, whatever. And they, they bought the, the animals, and they would be disgusted. And they'd heap shame on the son, and they'd heap shame on the father by allowing this, for allowing this to happen and the son would have to leave town for his own safety. And the story continues because the shame keeps piling up. We find out that he went to a foreign land and squandered all his wealth, blew it all on wild living, partying with the Gentiles, and soon there was nothing left. And then the high times ended, and there was a drought, and he had nothing and he hired himself out to a local Gentile farmer who said, I don't want anything to do with you. You don't belong here. Go out and feed my pigs. 
Imagine that, a Jewish boy plunged so low that he, had, that he was not only willing to tend pigs, but he longed to eat the pig's food. There is no end of shame here. Jesus' listeners would be wincing as like somebody was just getting the chalk, chalkboard and scratching his nails down the chalkboard. You cannot imagine more shame. The son was unworthy in every way imaginable. There is no good news in this son. Everything he has done has caused brokenness. He broke a relationship. He broke his family. He broke covenant. He broke hearts. He broke his own spirit. And and now we have to remember at this point that Jesus isn't just telling us this parable just for fun. He's telling it to the Pharisees. The Pharisees, those law keepers, those, those lawyers and, and, and who, who knew the, every little, you know, pointed, you know, cross T and, and dotted I of the law. And they were outraged at what they deemed to be the shameful acts of Jesus because it says now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law have muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus was hanging around with sinners. He was hanging around with, with tax collectors, those lowest of the low, the collaborators with the enemy who occupied their land. It was shameful just to acknowledge who, that they existed, let alone sit with them. And the Pharisees called these people sinners. And these sinners had flocked to Jesus. And in him they found acceptance. They found truth. They found in him a teacher who was not ashamed of them, who wasn't so high and mighty that he couldn't hang around them. And he enabled them to grow spiritually, but the Pharisees thought that was wrong. That's not the way a teacher teaches. That's not the way you act. Not only does he talk to them and receive them in fellowship, he even eats with them. And in, in Middle Eastern culture, you know, here we, we go out for our, you know, lunch with somebody and we have a lunch and then we go on. But there, when you sat down and you eat with someone, that means I accept you. You come under my household. You, you, I have obligation to you for hospitality. We are, you know, when we eat together, that's saying you and I are brothers or sisters total acceptance. And so the question that the gallery was asking is, does Jesus have no shame? How could a teacher from God teach such things and do such things? This is not right in our land. And so Jesus heightens the scandal with this story and just just does the chalkboard fingernail thing and just says, look, here's a story about shame. Jesus knew they were asking these questions, so he painted this picture of unrelenting shame. You want shame? You think I'm shameful? Here, let me tell you a story about shame. And it turns out sin is not about rule breaking. Sin is about relationship breaking. And as a result, salvation is not about acting righteously and following rules of honor. Salvation is about restoring relationship Jesus came to us to
to bring us back into a relationship with God. He didn't come here to say, now you gotta do this, you got a narrow path, you gotta do this, that, not that. He said, come into a relationship and all those things will, will fall into place. And there comes a turn in this story of the younger son. There in the pigsty, pigsty, in the lowest of the low places, you cannot find a lower place than wanting to eat the food of pigs. He comes to his senses. That's the turn. He comes to his senses. That's repentance. To come to your senses. And you think, well, what prompts that turn? What, what changed in his life? What, what happened in, in that, that space where he just said, I'm, I need to change? Uh, he gave his head a shake. What, what prompted that head shake that he had? Maybe hunger? Hunger does that to people. It makes you think. Abject need, perhaps. Sometimes you have to hurt a lot before you come to your senses. You have to hit the rock bottom, as they say. But in this story, it's, it's memory that, that gets him, that changes him. Memory of his father's character that turns this man around because he says, how many of my father's servants he remembers his father. He remembers how his father moved around his, his home and his, his farm and moved among his, his servants and treated them. His father's not a mean person. He's a good person. He's generous to his hired staff. They are well-fed. They thrive in his household. And he reasons, well, if I could be restored even to that level, I'd be better off than this terrible place I'm now in. He came to his senses, and that was his plan. So he sets off from the far country and makes his way home. And on his way, he has a long time to think about what he's gonna say to his dad. And as one person said, he went to a reformed seminary because he had three points to his, <laughs> to his speech. He has confession. He says, Father, I've sinned. That's what I'm gonna say to my dad. Father, I've sinned. And an affirmation of consequences, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. No more claims. I've, I've already had my claim to the estate. I, I have no claims to you. And then he's got an offer to make up for sin. Make me like one of your hired servants. And here we come to the heart of the story. Here we come to the gospel. Here we come to the reason why Jesus hangs out with sinners. And it has to do with the character of, of his father in heaven. It says, but while he was still a, far, a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The father sees his son from a distance. He has been waiting. And he sees him limping home in utter shame. He's been yearning for this son. 
He's been aching for the sun. He's, he's had a watch on every road waiting. If that kid comes home, you tell me, and I'm going to be watching too. At the core of who he is, he has passionate love for his son. And then he runs to his son. He ran to his son. And, and in Middle Eastern culture, men don't run. They sauntered. But he ran. He girded up his loins, as they would say, and he ran to protect him from the hostile village who will heckle him and beat him at the city gates. Ah, oh, here comes that no good, do nothing, scandalous, shameful son. Let's take care of him once and for all. His father runs to him, so that doesn't happen. What the community intended to do to the son, his father now wraps his arm around him and says, what you have to do to him, you now have to do to me. And the father listens to the speech. And he says, you know, father, I've sinned. Yep, you have. And then he says, "Um, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Yep, there's consequences to your son, or to your sin. But then, he interrupts. Can you click it for me? Every of the time. Okay. There we go. But then, he interrupts him on the third point. He doesn't let him say the third point. He doesn't let him say, make me your hired man. He won't let us make up for our sin. He won't let us work our way back into this family. Nothing the son can do. It's only come home. And there we see the father's robe the best robe of the house. And like the robe, this robe says to the community, what you intend to do to this boy, you, you do to me. And there he was, the shameful younger son in that robe, clothed in all the authority and all the honor of his father. He was not a hired hand. He was not outside this family He has status. He is family. He is a son. His relationship is restored. It calls to mind Isaiah 61, where it says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. This is the robe of grace. This is the robe of utter undeserved kindness, the robe of salvation. Salvation doesn't consist of being restored to the straight and narrow path, of being able to follow rules properly. It consists in being relation, in restored into a relationship and growing into that relationship and living out of that relationship. And it consists of God running to us in Jesus, clothing us in his righteousness, one for us in his sacrifice, and being in his family where we delight in his good and generous nature. And you and I are clad in that robe. You and I are in that robe 
God's amazing grace stretches out to the wretches like you and me. How does it feel to wear that robe? To know yourself to be an absolute wretch, but to experience amazing grace instead of condemnation. Doesn't that robe feel great? Doesn't it feel good to belong, to be accepted, to have status? And what a feeling to know that it's all a gift. It's all undeserved. It's marvelous. It's life-transforming. It's all a gift from a generous, kind God. This is a story, it's not the prodigal son, it's, it's about God. It's a story about God that we have in front of us today whose heart the Pharisees do not know. Who would have expected him to embrace sinners? What a scandalous love, this love of God. Older brothers want us to measure up first. They want sinners to clean up their act, to earn their way back into relationship, to do it the old way. We earned it. But they don't know the heart of God. Outstretched arms of Jesus on the cross are outstretched arms of God. He will embrace us with scandalous love. This is the gospel. That in Jesus Christ, God graciously robes us in garments of salvation, and he places us in this church where his reckless love is learned and lived. Amen. Let us pray. Oh God, thank you for your robes of righteousness. They fit so well upon us, and yet we don't deserve it. Thank you for your grace to us. Thank you for stretching out your arms in embrace and taking us in and giving us status with you. Lord, we love that relationship and we love being back with you. Help us to live into that relationship and live out of that relationship as we live in this world, following in the way of Jesus. And we pray it in his name. Amen.